This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. your host, James Pace, and once again, I am so happy and excited for another episode, and I hope you are too. But before we get started, I'd like to announce that I am now on Patreon, and I'd like to ask for my loyal listeners to visit my Patreon page. What is Patreon? Patreon is a website where creators like myself create great content. It could be art, it can be podcasts, YouTube channels, you name it. And it gives the opportunity for listeners to participate and uh, contribute. So what I'd like to ask my listeners is to visit my Patreon page and become a patron. Your contributions will help me create even better content. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive and special content. And you will get a shout out on my next episode. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash pace and freedom and the link will be in the description so you can copy and paste on your favorite browser and uh, become a patron thank you welcome to pace and freedom i'm your host james pace and i'm here with jt a good friend of mine i've known him for quite some time now he's a brilliant brilliant person i have these very intellectual conversations with him many times and without further ado jt go ahead and introduce yourself give a little bit of background good morning james it's good to be here so uh i'm an information systems technician in the united states coast guard i've been in the united states coast guard for 12 years and i've been doing it probably for about four years before that so about 16 years of it experience um that's just as a user and and for my work as an administrator right on so i mean i i imagine that with that much experience those many years you've encountered quite a bit of cybersecurity, um, network security. I imagine you're like a guru in all of that. Uh, I know I've came to you a couple of times and right before this episode to get some information from you to understand more. And that's where I decided, hey, I, I just need to have JT on the on the episode. That way it just makes it easier than, you know, he can explain it way better than I can. So this episode is about a few things, wanted to discuss the uh, Russian interference. Uh, we hear this all the time in you know, the mainstream media, and I don't think that a lot of people, like the masses, really understand what that is. You know, I've talked to a few people, and I've heard like people saying, oh, it's the Russians hacking into our government systems, and I've heard people uh, tell me that, oh, it's Russians uh, hacking into our voting systems and they had Trump elected that way. So I want to kind of inform people what the Russian interference actually is and what does it mean? So I hear Russian interference. There's three um, big things that that come to mind. Uh, One of them were alleged attempts to hack online voting resources. And uh, it seems to be that that 
is the case, how successful they were, I don't know. And there were hacks on the uh, Democratic National Committee, and data was obtained, which was released on WikiLeaks. And then there were disinformation campaigns, which is no stranger to the internet, but this was particularly vile in the way it sort of tribalized um, you know, the United States citizens in, into this toxic partisan environment. So at this point, and even when I looked into it, into the different kind of links that I've found on the internet, not from mainstream media, but I have the New Yorker has a pretty good article on it with a lot of compelling evidence. Uh, I also have a report from the Atlantic uh, Council. It's a uh, center for strategy and security, and they have a lot of compelling evidence into the Russian hacking, uh, Russian interference in general with social media. So, I mean, it's pretty safe to say that this is an actual thing. It's not that famous two words that we hear all the time, fake news. Am I correct? You're absolutely correct. 100% happened. The evidence is overwhelming. Anyone who claims different either just doesn't know or has blinders on to the evidence. You mentioned that they've hacked into our sort of voting systems. What what does that mean? Like, what exactly do they do? Is it just they've gathered information like they knew who was voting for who and how many people voted for who? Or did they actually, like, try to edit the information, edit the votes, the number of votes to go towards one candidate or the other. So I don't know how successful they were in that attempt, but understanding cyber attacks, I know what the capabilities are. So you have like an attack surface and that attack surface uh, is sort of what's vulnerable. And, and of those surfaces, you have, of course, the database. The database is what holds the information that is on that server. You can imagine the type of information that would be on an online voting resource. Obviously, you have personal identifiable information, you know, uh, such as names and things like that. And then as far as being able to change counts would could possibly be on the database. I'm not I'm not exactly sure how they would be able to edit that. So when they hack into those systems, are we talking about like, are these private systems, these voting resources, or is this something that's set up by local governments? Who is kind of responsible for the lack of security? Well, as someone who does work for the government, I, I understand that there is a lot of contracting that goes on. Uh, I imagine that this touches the private sector and it, these systems have been developed um, it's the thing with cybersecurity. When you talk about who's to blame, certainly um, there could be negligence when it comes to software development or poor network design. Whether that was the case, I'm, I'm not aware. But if there's an idea that there's a, a perfect system that is impenetrable, that is absolutely wrong. There's absolutely nothing that is untouchable. It's not a matter of if it's when and um, the amount of resources that someone's willing to put into um, well attacking a system it's really what it comes down to so you also mentioned with russian interference 
I believe it was uh, sort of social media. I'm not sure what the correct word is, if it's social media hacking or social media influence on our different social media outlets like Facebook, Twitter. But as far as the social media aspect, what does that look like? What is the Russian interference in the social media uh, face? So social engineering is also a form of cyber attack. It, it comes in many forms. We can get into that if you'd like. Um, but as far as it, it applies to the Russian interference, uh, they used our social media against us. And they, uh, there's an organization. It's the, or this, it's the uh, Internet Research Agency. It's, it's a Russian agency. It's based in St. Petersburg. Um, they do inter, like inter, uh, influence operations on behalf of like Russian politics. It was not started to um, affect externally. I believe it was started for internal operations to disinformation uh, against their own people. But as uh, things got closer to... Um, the 2016 election that changed and there were actual attempts to well successful attempts um to spread disinformation and sort of grow tribes to create uh, a toxic partisanship um on our social media so we picked this up sort of early on we kind of picked this up during during the 2000 election i remember hearing russian interference during the elections and what kind of measures did social media take on this, if any? Like, did Facebook, when they realized there was some social engineering going on, did they try to counteract that? Um, or were they even aware? Well, I believe they were aware. Counteracting it, I believe, is pretty hard. I'd like to talk about some of the numbers and um, how the systems and algorithms work, if I may. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. Clear things up a little bit. Because I try to read into that and I, I I really don't understand. So if you can put it in terms that all of us can understand, that would be great. So I'll just give you some numbers. The agency, as far as what data there is, there was 81 Facebook pages. Of those 81, 30 of them specifically targeted the black community. And there were about 62,000 posts off of those 81 pages. Instagram had 133 accounts with uh, uh, 116,000 posts. Um, of these posts, um, well, I guess of these pages, the Instagram uh, pages at 133 had 187 million interactions. Now that's like a like or a share and of the Facebook pages they had 175 million interactions so these are again uh, likes and shares what are these pages exactly well a lot of them come in the form of memes now the definition of a meme is an element of a culture or a system a behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means or imitation. And currently on the internet, 
we understand a meme is exactly that, but it's it's a usually a picture with text, and that picture usually represents an emotion or just some sort of connection that the next person can look at and get why it's funny um, or just get the reference. And with these, uh, there weren't just pages that were um, doing this. There were also just memes created. And you can imagine a meme, uh, if you've ever spent any time on social media, there are constant memes being liked and shared who knows who's creating them about partisanship about liking or disliking a specific political figure so the way these things work now there's an algorithm an algorithm is a process or set of rules uh calculations for problem solving uh for a computer and we create algorithms for different purposes but if you've ever watched netflix or if you use Google search or any social media, you'll notice that it recommends things for you. I, I think it's actually kind of fun sometimes to just click on different things in Netflix just to see what the algorithm thinks I like based on my selections. So you end up liking things and then it recommends things that you've never actually searched for. And this is in an attempt to give the user the best experience possible because they make money when the user uses their material and the side effect of that or unintended side effect is this was used to spread disinformation and so you're liking these pages uh, and these memes and sharing them and then other people like them so they also were able to get people to help them spread this different disinformation based on how that sharing system works and then uh well, that led to the pivoting strategy where just like people who like Stranger Things might also like the never-ending story popping in their Netflix feed, people who um, are into one conspiracy might be really into another. And so uh, to pivot, you can sort of put people into little buckets. I'll pause there and see if you have any questions on on just you know yeah. what I've uh, put out there. Yeah, I do. So – we talk about how Russians kind of put us in a, like you said, kind of put everybody in these little buckets and tribes um, of ripping or dividing us, I guess. But we, we, we kind of blame the Russians, but do we see this from entities as well? Like, I mean, I can imagine this is a pretty easy process. I can build a meme and you know several memes and try to get people to like it and then the algorithm re recommends them to other people and i can influence others i can imagine the democratic republican party doing this as well even the libertarian party tries to i don't know why we're not good at it but is <laughs> this something that everybody does and not just the russians why did we focus more on the russians on this is it because just because they were a foreign entity I believe so, and just the the scope of the efforts. You know, I'm not sure how successful they were. And let me maybe maybe explain that in the social engineering, uh, because the people who liked these pages, whether it was about pride for your tribe, or attitudes, you know, against the opposing side, like if you don't like socialist, like anti-socialist pages or memes, 
pro-capitalism, which really are doing the same thing. They're just, you know, whether you dislike one side or you like the other, it still pulls you in the same direction. Well, so as far as creating partisanship, I don't know how well they were able to do that because the people who are already liking these things were probably likely, were probably already voting for who they had in mind. Because people tend to just, they don't vote, you can't vote on all the issues. There's people, there's lots of single issue voters. And so anyone who is likely to like or share one of these anti-socialist pages or memes um, was probably already voting for who they were going to vote for, for in the in the first place. So as far as creating partisanship, I don't know how how many moderates it affected, you know, moderates in the middle. Uh, but disinformation can be troubling things that actually have physical consequence and that stuff's really hard to measure um the effect of that with the disinformation part i mean it's almost their uh, well i can't say it's their fault because i mean i know for me i like to do a lot of reading i read books i read articles i read journals i try to be as knowledgeable as possible and maybe sometimes i might be a little bit a little bias in what I choose to, uh, I guess, learn or study. I feel like it's just human nature for people to be in their little tribes. And I mean, I have maybe my little tribe. Uh, I try not to. I try to be uh, as inclusive as possible. I mean, a lot of the information that gets shared, these memes, I don't really consider like factual information, but a lot of people might, um, or just disinformation in general, is it more, I guess, the the person that reads into these things and just automatically believes them without doing any background check on it, any research on it? Wouldn't it be more of the individual's fault than anything else? Well, I think that there are things the individual can do to bolster their defenses against misinformation. Uh, it all starts with awareness. You know, a lot of people didn't even know what they were signing on for when they liked or shared these these pages. And even when they do um, not even the, the Russian interference with the social engineering, just on a daily basis, the type of likes and uh, sharing you do. Sometimes people don't fully understand what exactly it is and or that it is a way to socially engineer them. If I may explain a simple way that social engineering happens that is harmful that I see on a daily basis. Sure. So segueing away from the, the Russian social engineering, just um, this has to do with more with, with hackers, uh, cyber criminals, most likely you'll often see this meme spread around, you know, what is your hooker name? And then it will have a list of months and of the year. And, and each month is a name. And then that's your first name. And the last name is the street you grew up on. So, you know, if you were born in August, Mamie, your first name's Charlie, and you grew up on Pine Street. So your hooker name is Charlie Pine. And you think it's funny. So you share that to your friends who then uh, comment on this. That is kind of funny, actually. It's very, very, um, (laughs) it is funny, but it's, I can explain to you how that's dangerous. And and I see it all the time. Right. Do not reply 
to these memes. Do not share them. Especially educate your friends, especially the the elderly and the young who may not be aware of what this is doing. Um, The month you were born, your birthday is important information. If you've ever had to secure your password, you know, or you had to, you know, talk to your bank on the phone, they ask you your full name and date of birth. Right. It's like the first thing they ask you. Well, you just gave away the month you were born. Now they just need the day. You know, multiple attempts to get this information, you eventually could come up with that day. You could have another meme that the number of your month means this name, and it's 1 through 31, and now you have the number, and you just apply that data to the other phishing attempt meme, and then now you have the number and the the month. And also, if you've ever done password recovery for really sensitive stuff, you'll very commonly see which one of these addresses like means something to you and they'll give you like five or six different addresses and you know it'll say pick one or none and so if you're the person if you actually are you you know oh i grew up there it's this one and that gets you past that security measure right and there's usually more than one security measure um or if none of them are right and you don't know that and you're trying to hack into this person's account, you might select one just to try and they know that you're bogus. So that's an, a, a daily example I see of how social engineering fishes private information from people and they just go along with it. They are unaware that, that they are p- being tricked into giving away very valuable information about themselves. I agree. This is like a very dangerous thing. And I try not to do these things because you know, I've learned from others like yourself and other ITs that I met, and they've always warned me about these things. Going back to the Russian interference, I mean, I guess this is another way that they could influence the elections as well by doing the same thing, putting out these memes where you give out information and they can either use it to use it on in the polls, if it either is the voting poll or just the poll in general when they do the, you know, the, um, the popularity polls of a candidate and that would influence somebody to voting who they'll vote for. Absolutely. That absolutely makes sense how you could uh, engineer people with poll information. Also, uh, that also the information helps them with their propaganda because they know what issues you care about most. So if you're going to design these memes that went around based off the data gathered from these pages, you know exactly how to get, you know, Joe or James or Charlie, you know exactly what they're interested in. You can design propaganda specifically for them, which is another reason why uh, it gets me into another reason why this was so damaging and successful was that there's only a few major social media outlets out there. So, you know, we're, we're very, very much um, consolidated into just a few things like you know, your Facebook, your Instagram, your, your Twitter. And so it's very easy to, to attack a large amount of people. And the data that's gathered on one, you can just use it on the other. So the data gathered from the Facebook pages is people probably have Twitter accounts too or Instagram accounts and you can make memes and put them on there and 
so that gets into what I was talking about with like the pivoting strategies. Like once you, you figured out what issues someone's into and what was unsuccessful, well, you use that data to to start your next page, your next attack. And and you mentioned you know this is very easily done. I mean, the numbers that you provided eighty one Facebook pages uh, and thirty were more focused on the African American community. I mean, these are low numbers in comparison to how many Facebook pages there are or how many Instagram pages there there are or accounts. And that small number could affect this larger, huge amount of people. Yeah, 175 million Facebook interactions just off of 81 pages. And that's all we know about. And that's right. just one. That's just the... That's just, just the Russian interference, you know. Exactly. Being that easy, I mean, I, I really don't understand, I guess, how this could not be kind of counteractive. I mean, where the Russian's just so much better at designing the social engineering, or is it more of resource? Yeah, I actually think that you're right in both. If I could explain who the hackers are, generally speaking... I think I could shed some light on that. Absolutely. So I'll just go over some, some quick basics to get to get to where we are now. But you have uh, script kitties, which is a pretty funny name. But these are just unskilled people who are like using tools that are already created and out there and just messing around. They might deface websites, spread malware, interrupt services – if they find an unsecured network, they could probably do some some heavy damage. And then we have hacktivists who are hackers um, that attack organizations to further like political or ideological messages. Some of them represent political, religious, or economic ideologies. And, well, they, they attack people that they believe in opposition to whatever – the, the perceived enemies of those groups. They're also known as uh, cyber terrorists, especially if their methods actually cause you know widespread panic, injury, or death. Then we have organized criminals, which are hackers seeking financial gain. Um, they might be connected to traditional organized crime that is not uh, specifically related to technology and computers, but they are using... Um, this method to aid their crime or it could all be um, completely digital based and these are those fishers that I was talking to you about that want to get your personal information um, so that they can affect and basically get access to your assets uh, there are competitors which are you know businesses that do unethical attacks on each other espionage to either sabotage their competitors or gain access to their intellectual property. Then you have insiders. Uh, insider threats could be a disgruntled employee. It could be um, just it could just be users misusing the company's resources and not knowing they're doing harm. It could also be job security attacks. Uh, just, you know, small little um, things that, uh, make it seem like your job's more necessary. And then the big one I wanted to get to, which is nation states. Uh, many nations employ intelligence agencies, educated 
hackers and uh, cyber warfare organizations to perform attacks on uh, rival governments or political organizations and businesses, anyone they perceive to be a threat to their national interest. What makes the nation states particularly powerful is they're able to devote a large number of skilled hackers, attacks, based on the resources that they have. So you can imagine when you have the intent of an entire state, the state of Russia, their resources, and they want to do a misinformation campaign, they could be just astoundingly more devastating than just a, a script kitty who's making memes in their mom's basement. So hackers just seems like such a dirty word sometimes. Like when people hear hackers, they like, oh, that's just a, a criminal. And for the most part, I guess that is true. Would you say, and if, I mean, we have our own hackers in our own government, and we like to think that, okay, well, they're only hacking other rival governments. That's not entirely true, correct? Well, I don't know. I don't have the data, but you could just use your imagination. And uh, my imagination says, yes, it's possible. I think uh, you wanted to talk about what, Facebook was doing in response to this. Correct. Or is that further down the line? No, that is correct. That is next. So, you know, the social media organizations are aware that this is going on. When they caught on, I, I really don't know. So you have platforms and you have publishers. And, you know, it seems like some of these social media organizations, they claim to be platforms but behave like publishers. Let me explain very briefly the difference between a platform and a publisher. Platform, basically, you, you develop this website this you know that people can post whatever the hell they, they want on, and they just use the resource, and there's no partisanship, you know, uh, where a publisher, you know, they actually have a platform, and they, they publish what they want. They say, yeah, you know, this is a libertarian platform, and we're going to share libertarian media information. Well, with the the platforms, well, I'm sorry, yeah, the platforms like Facebook, they know this is going on. They don't want disinformation to be spread. I mean, it causes real harm, not just the election harm. Like we, we, there's you know, social engineering, criminal activities being done, and um, I, again other topics we touched on like like anti-vaccination flat earth you know things like that they don't want this misinformation because there's a public outcry for this type of stuff to, to stop so they have to try to block media and remove media um so they do have ways that they're trying to do it but they also tend to get heat for that because, I mean, who's to say your platform? Who, who, so you get to choose what goes up and, and what doesn't. And if there's any sort of bias to that, you know, that, that, that's, that just causes, you know, some controversy as well. But um, we can get into that later if you want. But they are trying. And so they, they do develop algorithms. And we say that word a lot, but it's, they're, they're very complex problem-solving programs you could call them these ifs ands ifs ands and that 
sort of processes to help them gather this information. But the problem is you need some human oversight as well for this, which gets into something sort of dark. Um, There's certain information which is illegal to have on these um, platforms. Just imagine violence, uh, children, dark things. Well, maybe the algorithms are good at finding these accounts, but someone's got to turn these accounts off if there's some sort of uncertainty, which means that there's people employed to go through and look at these pages and view this content and say, oh, yeah, I mean, that's someone's head getting blown off. I, I need to delete this page. So sadly, there are people that are affected by this as well, the people that actually have to filter through this content. That's not a job I want. No, definitely not. I mean, I imagine it's really hard to filter these things out. And there is a kind of, I guess, side effect to that where you can accidentally filter stuff that is good and is necessary or filtering out certain free speech that shouldn't be filtered out, that it is a certain person's right to express. Yes, that that does trouble me. Um, but I think something needs to be done. I think that they need to respond, and they're, they're going to make mistakes. And uh, as long as we call out those mistakes, I'm hopeful that we can correct them as we go. But I don't think that Facebook... Twitter, Google, I don't think they can do it alone. I really think that in order for some of this damaging information to stop, you know, users have to take some responsibility as well. And just, you know, it starts with awareness, being aware that these things are going on, being aware of your vulnerabilities, your attack surface. And so don't like these memes. I, I can be guilty of being partisan from time to time on an issue. I do not share memes. I participate in conversation. I don't like and share memes about anything partisan. I would recommend that to anyone else. I'd rather go on a forum and start a conversation. You Sometimes when you like and share these memes, you don't know what you're buying into. You don't know who created it. It's just not a good idea. And then don't spread these phishing scams around. You know, you don't know who's going to get this. It could be your grandmom who's on Facebook, gets this funny meme and wants to find out their spirit animal and its favorite food. And they just gave away their, their social security their number. Social yes, security number, right. Yeah. So don't share this. Don't, don't, you know, be aware. Don't be aware of these phishing scams. Don't spread them. If you see bad content, report it. You know, take some action as a user to help with this problem if you really care about it. If you don't care, I guess you, you can just go about your way. But I just, like I said, I don't think that, well, I wouldn't want to put my hands into Facebook solving this problem. For me, as a user, I want to be aware of what I'm up against so that I can also do my own filtering right. as best I can. I like how you kind of went with, you know, this is the user's responsibility. They have a responsibility to this as well. Because there's, in Facebook, I think they're they're heading towards a very dangerous road by 
asking government to help them. I think they would have a a, a way better uh, success if they asked the user to help them. And I, I think they do do some of that, but they are trying to push for government assistance on this. And that's just a very, in my opinion, and, you know, in my belief that it's a very dangerous road to take because once you go to government, yeah, we might have a good government right now, but imagine if you get, you know, somebody else elected that doesn't share the same, um, views as you and you just gave them the power to you know influence people uh their way right so i like how you went with the user aspect because i think and this could be my own like just ignorance or that or yeah let's go with ignorance that people for the most part, know what's right and wrong. And there are more people that know what's right and wrong than the people that just go with wrong. And they can do a lot of this reporting and help Facebook or Google or Twitter to find these bad apples, I guess, in their in their platform and eliminate them. Oh, yeah, James. It, it makes sense. I hear what you're saying. And... You know, I, I think, you know, us as a community taking some responsibility, users taking responsibility and, and becoming aware, spreading awareness and making these good choices would be the more successful outcome. Though, uh, on a personal note, I, I, I do think that Facebook would love to be a public utility rather than a platform. They would love the government funding and, and assistance for that. I, I don't think that they share... Um, our opinion, I think, uh, of the two options, they would much rather um, be a public utility. Right. Which is, they could be using the whole, oh, I need help with filtering the bad stuff. Let's go for, you know, hey, I need government assistance for this. And the true, like, motivation is obviously money. We You also talked about how we shouldn't be sharing these memes and we shouldn't be sharing you know, this disinformation uh, and instead get into conversation, which is kind of the, you know, the motto for my podcast is to bring conversation instead of all this fighting and just really talk through things and and kind of as a community come up with what's best for us. But it feels like it's kind of human nature to be lazy and I mean these memes really make it really easy to express kind of you know I'm using me as just kind of an example I guess not necessarily me it's very easy for me to just share a meme to express what I believe in you know even if it's maybe not completely what I believe in it's just it's close to it enough that I I can share and people will know what what my opinion is or what my belief is. Yeah, it does seem easy. We, I guess you hope that people get the meme, but if you've ever tried to share a funny meme with your, your loved ones or friends, coworkers, and, and they just didn't think it was funny, they just didn't get it. I mean, you have that danger too. It might mean something to you. If there's any ambiguity in it, someone else is going to interpret it the way that they mean to interpret it. So you could effectively be spreading information that people that already agree with it will like it but people who 
disagree with it, it kind of pushes them further away, creating, you know, um, that divide. Right. You know, because the people who already agree with you already agree with you. Um, who do you want to talk to to round off your ideas? I, you know, I, I do. If I'm going to have a constructive conversation, it's you know, it's definitely going to take place with someone who we have some disagreements because they're going to round me off and hopefully I round them off. Right. I don't want to be in a, in a, in an echo chamber. And that's why I say conversation over memes. Right. And I, and I a hundred percent agree. I mean, I'm guilty though of sharing memes cause there's just some memes that are really, really funny. Oh, they're so funny, James. I, I, I know, think right? <laughs> I do it all the time. Just not about politics. Usually right. These are about well, I do do other about things. politics and something. <laughs> like, I am totally guilty of it. I and might be guilty of liking a few of your memes. I know, right? <laughs> and but I do one hundred percent agree that we need to bring conversation. And uh, you know, I remember back in the day before memes. You know, I had a blog, which you know, that's how I express myself was by blogging and sharing and. That helped me shape my views back when I was blogging are completely different from my views today. And it was thanks to bringing, uh, bringing conversation because I would write these blogs and people would comment and start this conversation like, well, you know, you're not 100% correct here. And here's the information to back, you know, what I disagree with you on. And I would look at this information and I would you know, it would open my eyes uh, and shape my views differently than what I originally believed and educate me. I'm continuously being educated by bringing these conversations. Um, you know, I believe that maybe the principles and foundation is still there, but I can totally step into somebody else's shoes a lot easier than I used to. And I don't think you can get that from memes. No. Yeah. There was um, a, a popular uh, podcast, uh, podcaster, Sam Harris. He had said something I loved when he described what he does. And he just said, I think in public. And I, I, I just love that. Because uh, when you think in public, you you just get the response. You get You get the criticism you need. And if you... If you just think in an echo chamber, you have no idea what sort of ba- uh, your ideas are bad that you're just reinforcing. Absolutely. Some of the, uh, I guess, preventative measures that you already discussed some of them, you know, not sharing these memes, not sharing these uh, phishing uh, methods. What other preventative measures can you take? I mean, there's a lot more than just phishing, obviously, and in, in the memes. Uh, I mean, there's actual hacking where people actually get into your accounts and bank accounts. And, you know, what kind of as a as somebody that is in IT and, you know, work in this kind of field, what other things people can do to protect their their identity, their information, their accounts? So with the other types of, you know, problems out there. You know, you as a user, a lot of what you're going to come across is other than social engineering is malware and um, and also ransomware. Uh, ransomware, I don't know if anyone has ever experienced this. Imagine your computer just stops working one day. 
and you get a message on the screen that says if you want your computer to work, you need to call me and then you call them and they want $200. And oh, yeah. people um, work on their computers and you've got years of data and no backup. And you cannot access, maybe you even need it for your business. Um, people pay it. People will pay to get these things. Um, they'll pay these these hackers to get access to their data again. Even companies are, are, have um, actually done this. Wow. And the way you protect against that is a backup, a clean backup. So you, you back up your data. If something's important to you, back it up. You can do it on portable hard drives, portable external hard drives. You can put it in your hard drive and then pull it out of the computer and put it in the closet. You can, there's there's uh, security as a service for this backup as a service for this thing. There's internet resources that you could have backups of your your information. They You can even buy like a home backup system for like $600. You can get a backup array and then, you know, you could turn it, uh, you know, I would recommend turning it on when you want to make a backup and then turn it off. Don't leave it permanently connected to your network. That's just another, that's just increasing your attack surface. You don't want that. So when you do get malware or ransomware or one of these worms or viruses, uh, you can start over and, and not destroy, you know, well, if you're a business, your personal data, your pictures, whatever, you, you can start fresh. You can just wipe the computer and do that. So backups is extremely important. And then other things you can do is to get antivirus. Uh, antivirus, they even have it for your phone. You can get antivirus. There's free versions. I recommend paying a little bit of money. It's not expensive. You just get antivirus for your phone, for your computer. Uh, you could also use a VPN a virtual private network. It sort of masks your IP address. So when you're browsing information, you go through another server, which looks like that's who you are, but it's not really you. It's like a man in the middle. Strong passwords are absolutely necessary. Um, whenever you can, don't make it personal. Do not make your passwords personal. It's going to be, you know, uh, different uh, alphanumeric so you're going to have numbers uh, letters and symbols and just make it a hard password don't use the same password all the time anytime that you have a compromise make sure you change your passwords and with your recovery questions this is a strategy um, I think is important that can protect against some of the things we were talking about earlier so a lot of these recovery password questions are, what's the name of your first pet? You know, what is your father's middle name? What is your mother's maiden name? This is information that's, well, it's not too hard to come by. And um, if you've been compromised, like you've given this data out already, they're not good questions for you to select. So I recommend using a different kind of system, you know, um, where... You take the recovery password, maybe any time it asks what your father's middle name is, that question really means something else that you decide. It doesn't, it's not your father's middle name. Maybe it's, you know, your favorite food and your favorite 
dog breed <laughs> together to something that you make up. And it just adds a, a little bit of complexity. So no one who, who's trying to give the exact data to that recovery question can to, to get into your accounts. Uh, it, it sounds like I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. and, you know, it's funny because I'm – I do. And, you know, I'm – I wouldn't say I'm paranoid, but – because if I were, I would be doing all these things. I obviously everything that you mentioned, I probably I need to work on as well. But I do have this belief that you know every user is being attacked on a daily basis, and they you know even when they don't know it, um, you know either by a hacker or by you know a nation state or you know by our own government. Yeah, as we've learned from the Russian disinformation campaign that you know i never thought that (laughs) russia would want anything to do with me as an individual and i've sort of woken up like actually i can now see how even everyday users can become targets of something big like a nation state right and uh, i know i asked you this you know off the show um did you hear about this uh face app issue i don't know if you've been able to kind of looked into it at all so i i have a little bit um this is another way that information seems to have been fished and i have not touched it i haven't really read anything on it i just uh, a little bit that i've seen from friends let me try to make a guess at this and tell me how right i am right but i'm assuming it's an app and it says it's going to do something funny with your face. Maybe it turns you into a, a woman or younger, older. Well, what you've done when you download the app is you probably consented for it to have access to certain resources like your camera. And it took a picture of your face. Um, well, a lot of phones come with the ability to unlock them with your face uh, patterns. So... I don't know. That's really important data. I, I don't think that should be given out. Is is that sort of what happened? Yes. And some of the other information that was consented to and people either didn't read it or thought, oh, it makes sense to share this information is your contacts. So that way you can oh, share oh, the app no. with others. So now you've consented to share all your contacts, which means that they have their names and phone numbers, emails, whatever. Yeah. You, you got to think about what you're giving up. This is this awareness that I was talking about. That's, that's terrible. Um, be careful in the app store. There were apps called flashlight before fl- phones had flashlights. Oh, I remember the that. app claimed yeah. to turn on your flash and it did. And it gave you light, but the app was doing more than that. So, yeah, anyone who's expecting the government to protect them from everything, the government is not going to protect you from the face app. They can't protect you from fish giving away your your own personal information. Right, unless they you really like... need to take some personal responsibility. Exactly, and it's funny because even with this face app thing, I mean, people are already trying to look for government, you know defense on this like oh you know the government needs to try to get this information from the russians now back well you know you can't really 
they that. should respond, they and... but they can't get that information back. No. It's not possible. Once it leaves the gateway, once it's out there, it's out there. Exactly. Th- that they should respond in some way. So I, 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 a public outcry for some sort of response or help for this is is fine. But if there's any expectation that you're getting that data back, it's not happening. Right. I mean, but what's the most that the government can do, you know, I guess other than um, saying, you know, hey, Russia, you did this to us and this is bad. Don't do it to us again. I mean, there's not really much, like you said, that they can do. You're not going to get that information back. And I mean, I guess what the government could do that I think would be their position to do is kind of, again, now that they, you know, the government has all this, you know, power that I don't like for them to have, but if they're going to use it for good, they should bring awareness to people, you know, and have some sort of public announcement saying, hey, this app is a bad app. It's, you know, yes. a, it's a hack, you know. Um, so if they're going to use their power for good, I guess that would be the way to do it. So, the awareness is on you. Absolutely. Uh, so that kind of covers our time there. Uh, want to give a, uh, shameless plug-in on your YouTube channel? Certainly, James. It's been a pleasure. If you ever want to talk more, uh, I'm there for you. We can talk about this more or other subjects, but as far as uh, a plug for myself, uh, if you look up JT the Lionheart, on youtube i have a cooking channel i just have a few videos out right now i am currently working on a bigger project i'm working on a longer video uh it should come out in the fall called from bottle to batch where i start with a bottle of kombucha and um through uh, certain processes i step that up to where you're brewing every weekend at least two gallons wow you know i tried kombucha once and i wasn't a big fan of it but i imagine like anything else it's probably one of those things that you just kind of acquire the taste for right absolutely i think that's a whole podcast james Uh, okay (laughs) about about uh fermentation fermented beverages uh the process of fermenting absolutely i mean i think uh I'll take you up on that. Maybe we can do a a, a a YouTube video or a podcast on that. So, be my pleasure, James. Uh, thank you, and thank you for being on. I mean, this podcast means a lot to me, and and everybody that's been supportive, like yourself, I, I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome, James. I say, just keep making content. Just keep up with it. 